Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. Now, I, I could have started just reading this without telling you where it was at. And as I read it, you would probably think that I was reading out of the New Testament, unless you're just really, really familiar with your Bibles. But this is Isaiah the prophet. I'm going to read, starting with verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We are all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb or unable to speak, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Last week we talked about Genesis 22. And there's something about 22. Uh, the number 22. And Psalm 22. So we had Genesis chapter 22. And then if you go to Psalm 22... It says, 
This is, this is David writing a psalm, and you're thinking, this is just David, and David's talking about himself, right? You know, there are places in the Bible where when you read it, it sounds like it's a, it's a person talking about themselves, or a prophet talking to a king, and you say, well, uh, he's, he's talking to this person, so this is about this person he's talking to. But after you read it for a little bit, it becomes obvious that even though he said he's talking to a person, he's not talking to that person. He's talking to somebody else. And uh, here, David is speaking, and, it, and he's talking like he's talking about himself. But listen to this closely. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, David did have reason to say that. But we know that someone else said that when they were hanging on the cross. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not and in the night season, and, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and, and were delivered, they trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man." a reproach of men and despised of the people. That sound like something I just read out of Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53, we know, is the Lord Jesus being uh, the Lamb of God, being the sacrifice for us. And David is saying this, this, and Jesus was treated this way. He was treated like a worm, as like he was not a human and he, he was a, the reproach of men. He was despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Even one of the thieves said something like that, hanging beside him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. You know, everybody deserted Jesus. All his friends, few of his friends were close by, but they, were, they deserted him. There was no one there that could help him. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. See, this is crucifixion. This is describing what happens to a person when they are crucified on a cross. David is writing this 100, no, a thousand years before Christ was born on this earth in a manger. In Bethlehem. 1,000 years. He is describing crucifixion. There's no way David would know this. Way before it was even invented by evil human beings. 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Wow. A thousand years before Christ was even born on this earth. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. They both went up together. Remember that from last week? Isaac and Abraham, they both went up together. You know, God had to forsake Jesus because of all the sin that was placed on him, but he was never that far away. Oh, my strength has thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now, from this point on, you will see a, di- a change in this, uh, in this psalm. But just, you know, I just think it's interesting how we have the number 22 in Genesis 22, then Psalm 22, and both of them are pictures of Jesus being led up to Mount Calvary and nailed to a cross. And, you know, we've been going through Hebrews 11 forever and ever, I know. We've been going through Hebrews 11. And notice, I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but it's all of those people that are talked about in, in 11, that chapter of the Hall of Faith, it was trials and testings. Trials and testings. Do you know how many verses are in 11? 40. The number of years that they were in the wilderness. The number of days that Jesus was in the desert being tempted, you know, going without food, that he was being tried and tested. Uh, That number 40 is very significant. It just so happens that there's 40 verses in that chapter. All right, now I'm going to read something to you out of this little book here. Now, a lot of scripture here, and this is communion day, right? This is the first Sunday of the month, and we have communion set here before us. We have the bread, and we have the wine, the juice of the, of the, the grape juice from the vine. And these are very simple elements, very simple things that anybody would recognize, that it's just bread and drink. But they symbolize something that is very, very significant. Very simple in front of us, but what it represents is anything but simple. Now, this is uh, somebody you may have never heard of other than me talking about him, but his name is A.P. Gibbs, Alfred P. Gibbs. He's one of my favorites. And uh, he's talking about the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. So listen carefully. And then when I'm done with this, we will be ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. We shall think first of the bread. Upon a table is a loaf of bread and a cup containing the fruit of the vine. Around it, or before it, is a group of Christians 
who have gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus and at his invitation to remember him and to show forth his death till he come. What spiritual significance is conveyed to those believers as they look upon that loaf of bread? Talking about us, all of us here, looking upon this plate right here and this loaf of bread that's here. When we see the effect of a corn of wheat which was planted in the soil and died. Before that loaf could be made from the flour, many corns of wheat had to be buried in the earth and die. From those seeds, in due time, there emerged the first, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full ear, ear in the corn. That's out of Mark 4.28. Thus the bread is the result of the death of the corn of wheat. Surely this brings to mind the words of the Savior when he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You know, without Jesus going into the grave and dying for us, we, there was no fruit ever going to be produced. Our Lord came into this world in order that he might die for our sins. It was for this very cause that he became incarnate. He became a human being. We are told he, was took, not, he, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of, of Abraham. As God, he could not die, but as man, he could and in His wondrous grace, did die for our sins according to the Scriptures. We are also informed He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We also read, For as much as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil." Hebrews 2, 9-14. The death of our Lord was, was both voluntary and vicarious. If you don't know what that means, you know what voluntary means, but you'll know in a minute. He declared, Therefore, doeth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, and that I, that I might take it again. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power or authority, to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Christ was absolutely sinless, pure, and holy. We are told He had no sin, knew no sin, and did no sin. And we get that from 1 John 3, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and 1 Peter 2, 22. Death, therefore, had no claim upon Him, for death is the result of sin. His death, therefore, was purely voluntary. All of us are going to die because of sin. Jesus had no sin, so he, he should not have died. He also declared, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. But this he indicated that his death was, or by this he indicated that his death was, vicarious, or on behalf of others. 
His very name was given him because of the work he was to accomplish. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 Any boy or girl, if given enough time, can count the number of acorns on an oak tree. But no man can possibly compute how many oak trees there are in an acorn. Providing that acorn is placed in the ground and dies, it, in, do, in so doing, it will reproduce itself in an oak tree. Now plant that. Plants, you know, that tree's acorns. You don't know how many acorns are going to be produced by that one acorn that grew into a tree, produced many acorns, and then if all of those acorns are planted in the ground and grow all kinds of trees, you can't compute that. Think of the millions of people who, through faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ and acceptance of Him as their personal Savior, have become the possessors of eternal life. Each one will gladly trace it all to the one, capital O-1, who, as the corn of wheat, died for each and every one of our sins and rose again for each and every one of our justification. Now that bread couldn't be made bread without it being ground into flour. These believers, talking about us, also realize that the loaf of bread is the result of many kernels of wheat being ground between the upper and lower millstone. Or in the Bible, it's the nether millstone, the lower one. And thus reduced to flour, that scripture will come to mind where we read, bread, corn is bruised. And they will link with this the well-known words of Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I just read that in Isaiah 53. This will speak to their hearts, particularly of the physical sufferings of Christ at the hands of the very creatures in whom he had placed the breath of life. They will call to mind the blood-like sweat of Gethsemane the pressure that he was under. Think about the flour, the, the grain being in between the millstones and crushed and turned into flour. Think about the, the blood-like sweat that dropped from his forehead at Gethsemane, where Christ said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. And where, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. They will follow him in thought from that garden of Gethsemane to Gabbatha. You know that word is in your Bible? Gabbatha. What was that? That's where he was given a mock trial before Pilate, who, to his everlasting shame, condemned to death Jesus, whom... He knew to be an innocent man. Mocked, beaten, and spat upon, and crowned with thorns, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He gave his back to the smiter, and his cheek to them that plucked off the hair. 
They pulled his beard out. That was as in Isaiah 50, verse 6. They will then envision him as he came to Golgotha. Notice this man from Galilee. He went to Gethsemane. He went to Gabatha. And now he's gone to Golgotha, which we know of as Calvary, the place of the skull. Bearing his own cross. Read about that last week. He mounted the slopes of the hill, stretched out his hands upon the cross, and allowed himself to be nailed to the tree. Who can estimate the awful suffering he endured during those hours upon the cross? Who can fathom the meaning of those words, Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God? 1 Peter 3.18 Truly, bread corn is bruised. And Christ went through the millstones of God's judgment for us. Blessed be His name. This is a poem written by Grattan Gumnus. You ever heard of him? Grattan Gumnus. Never heard of him either. Crowned with thorns upon the tree, silent in thine agony, dying crushed beneath the load of the wrath and curse of God. On thy pale and suffering brow, mystery of love and woe, all thy grief and sore amaze, Savior, I would fix my gaze. Sin atoning sacrifice, thou art precious in mine eyes, thou alone my rest shalt be, now and through eternity. So we have the wheat having to go into the ground and die, we have the wheat grain that has to be uh, milled into flour to make the bread. Within the bread, once it's put together, has to be put into the oven. So we should, in seeing the loaf, see a picture of the unseen spiritual sufferings of, of our Savior. Just as the dough must be placed in the oven and unseen to human eyes, is, is subjected to the fierce heat of the fire, ere it can become a loaf of bread. So Christ, during those three hours of darkness on the cross, was shut up to God, who made to meet upon him the iniquity of us all. In that lone, dark, and mysterious hour, our Lord suffered at the hands of God, who dealt with him on account of our sin. Inasmuch as he had assumed the liability of our guilt, he must therefore endure at the hands of a holy God all the judgment that those sins deserved. The whole question of sin was brought into account and dealt with by a holy and righteous God who can by no means clear the guilty. See, God is he's so just, He has to deal with the sin. Can you imagine all of that wrath coming down on, on you? I can't imagine it coming down on me. And Jesus stood in the way, took on all of our sins so that God would deal with him and not us. Therefore, upon the head of our divine substitute, as he hung upon the cross, there was poured out the full judgment that, that divine justice demanded. No human mind can possibly fathom the infinite sufferings through which 
our blessed Savior passed as he hung upon that tree, surrounded by that awful darkness, despised and rejected of men, and then forsaken of his God. It is in the Psalms that the unseen spiritual sufferings of Christ are described. We hear him saying, Deep calleth upon deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and billows have gone over me. Again, he cries, I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into the deep waters where the floods overflow me. Once more we hear his orphan cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And it, I read that out of uh, um, Psalm 22. Thus, in the horror of that darkness unseen by man, all the righteous judgment of God against sin fell in all its infinite severity on his sinless, unprotected head until he had satisfied to the full all the demands of God against sin and the sinner. Then and only then did he cry with a loud trumpet voice, It is finished, and bowed his head and dismissed his spirit. Thus the loaf of bread speaks eloquently to the believer of both the physical and spiritual sufferings of his Lord. Now here's another poem by uh, F. C. Jennings. Agony of agonies, this the pain of Calvary. Bow my soul in solemn awe, from thy foot thy sandal draw. This is holy, this truly holy ground, here is mystery profound. Few thy words, but let thy thought be with deep emotion fraught. Tremble while truth speaks to guilt, telling why that blood was spilt. Weeping while sweet mercy's voice bids thy broken heart rejoice. Praise while love and truth unite, flooding heart with heavenly light. Trembling, weeping, praising, learn, let it, let it in thy spirit burn. Thy sins thyself has caused that cry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So if you need a word that rhymes with cry, you can use that. Now the cup. We have the juice, the blood of the grapes. By the side of the loaf, there's a cup containing the fruit of the vine. It also is full of spiritual significance, for it is the symbol of that by which the believer has been redeemed. Let us listen to the Savior's own words concerning the cup. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Thus the cup, by which of course the covenants are, or the contents are meant, was the divinely ordained symbol of the precious blood of Christ by which our eternal salvation has been secured. Wine, as we know, is obtained by pressing the grape. Hence, in the olden days, the wine press was used, in which the grapes were usually trodden down by the feet of men. In this way, the juice was extracted, then drawn off, and placed either in skins or in earthen vessels, until the desired process of fermentation was completed. Wine was often referred to as the blood of the grape. 
which we just, you know, if you were here on Wednesdays, listen to any of the Wednesday uh, messages through Deut- Deuteronomy, we read about that in Deuteronomy 32:14, and then uh, the great Jacob uh, blessing all of his children in uh, Genesis 49:11. He also mentions the blood of the grapes. Hence, our Lord selected the fruit of the vine to symbolize His precious blood or His outpoured life on our behalf. One has only to read the Old Testament and particularly the book of Leviticus to be impressed with the fact that the shedding of blood of animal sacrifices was an integral part of the ritual connected with approaching God. This is seen in both the tabernacle and later in the temple the New Testament summarizes this fact in a well-known word, in well-known words of Hebrews 9:22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. There can be no approach to God, no forgiveness from God, no acceptance with God apart from substitutionary sacrifice. God views the sacrifice as taking the place of the sinner bearing the sins of the sinner and dying in the stead of the sinner. Thus the sinner is accepted by God in his offering. The key phrase of Leviticus, which sums up the whole purpose of the offerings, is found in Leviticus 1.4. It is stated here, And he, talking about the sinner, shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it, talking about the offering, shall be accepted for him. By placing, by placing of his hands upon the head of his offering, the sinner thus identified himself with his sacrifice. This sacrifice now became his substitute in the sight of God, bore his sins and died in his stead that he might be accepted before God. All these sacrifices of the Old Testament look forward to the advent of Christ, who would completely fulfill them by the sacrifice of himself. Because of his finished work, the Lord Jesus has made possible the acceptance of every sinner who will trust solely in his redeeming work and receive him as his own personal Savior. Thus, as believers look upon the cup, several things will suggest themselves to their minds. Let us think of four of these things concerning the blood. The significance of the blood. Perhaps the greatest statement in regard to this is found in Leviticus 17:11, where we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Here the great principle is stated that the blood represents the life. Therefore, when the Lord Jesus said of the contents of the cup, This is the New Testament in my blood. The disciples realized that the Lord was saying he was about to give his life for them. Number two, the necessity for the blood. We have already seen that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. When Christ came into the world, he affirmed, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament were but shadows or pictures of Him who was to come. Christ came to be the substance, the reality, the antitype of all the many offerings that combined to set Him forth. 
all that the law demanded for the forgiveness of the sinner, Christ has paid to the uttermost. One of the great statements that summarizes this fact is found in Hebrews 9.14, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the per- per- purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, all that should be familiar from going through Hebrews. Uh, Number three, the shedding of the blood. When that great moment came, predestinated from a past eternity, the Son of God, in the calm dignity of His eternal Godhead, mounted the slopes of Golgotha's hill, stretched Himself out upon the cross, and allowed wicked men to nail Him there. He knew that that only by the shedding of His blood could our salvation be secured. By his death, all the claims of the law have been met, together with all the demands of the divine justice. All the work needed for the salvation of every sinner who will trust him has been accomplished in God's complete satisfaction. The cross is the focal center of the universe and the supreme fact of all time. The blood which which a holy God demanded for our redemption has been shed by the Son of God and God has accepted the payment and issued His receipt, the resurrection. The efficacy of the precious blood of Christ. One statement of Scripture comes to mind. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 By this is meant that the sacrifice of Christ is the perpetual and all-sufficient answer to all our sin. The sacrifices of the law could only atone for sin. The word atone means to cover. The sacrifices of the Old Testament could not put away sins. They could only cover them. We are definitely told this in so many words. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. God only accepted these offerings in view of what His beloved Son should accomplish when He came into the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Now here's Isaac Watts' poem. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb took all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name, and richer blood than they. We now look back to see the burden thou didst bear when hanging on the accursed tree, for all our guilt was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse remove, we bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing redeeming love. That's Isaac Watts. Now we're almost finished. Just a few more minutes and then we will be taking of the bread and the juice. Thus, as the believer views the cup and realizes, in a measure, all that it implies, his heart will be moved to praise and worship the one who has brought him, bought him with his precious blood. Each time he comes to the Lord's Supper, he will be reminded that he has 
not been redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 1.18 As he thus lifts up his heart in adoration to Christ, he is but one of very many thousands of other Christians who are doing the same thing. In a coming day, a vast throng shall surround the Lamb, capital L Lamb, upon the throne, and shall sing with glorious harmony, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God. By thy blood, out of every kindred, and, and tongue, and people, and nation, and, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. May it be ours to have an ever-increasing appreciation of the wonderful symbolism of the bread and the cup. Let us never forget, however, that they were only appointed by the Lord to focus, on, focus our attention upon Himself. The symbols are temporary, for they are only till He come. The time is coming when we shall no longer require the emblems to remind us of Him, for we shall see Him as He is and be forever with and like Him. Now there's a story that I heard, and it was probably John Phillips talking about it. And he was talking about how there was this man in this town, and his son, this was a, you know, a long, long time ago, and his son was walking through the streets of London, and as he was crossing the street, he was hit by a car and killed. And the people went to find the father to tell him about it. And they said, it's been a terrible accident. Your son has been hit. And we don't know if he's made it or not. We don't think he's made it. And he ran out to try to find where this happened. And when he got there, they had he had already taken the, his son away. But the son's blood was all over the street. And the cars were just driving back and forth over top of the blood, didn't, you know, and he's running out in the street crying and, you know, don't run over the blood. Don't, you know, don't you understand this is the blood of my son. Nobody else cared. You know, in Hebrews it talks about walking right over top of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus trodden underfoot. You know, how many people hear the story of the gospel of Jesus' precious blood shed and we don't pay any attention to it, and we just walk right over top of it, doing about our own business. And the father, in anguish, looking at everyone, saying, don't you see the blood? Don't you see it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Father, we have just read in your word of where our salvation that we don't deserve it at all, comes from. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would be touched by what you did for us, what Christ willingly did by going to the cross in our place. And Father, as we take the bread, which is 
the Lord Jesus' body while He was walking on this earth being broken, pulled apart for us. And Father, the, the grape juice that's here that represents the cup, the cup that represents the shed blood. Father, that we would, we would be preparing ourselves that if there's anything in our lives that we need to get right, Father, that we would be praying right now to you, asking you to forgive us of things that we might be holding in our hearts, unforgiveness toward others, things that we know we shouldn't be doing as saved Christians, that we need to get out of our lives. Father, I just pray that each and every one of us are preparing our hearts to take of your supper. Father, the table has been set. Father, I pray, I pray that each and every believer here will want to participate, will want to take the bread and the wine and consume it. And Father, if we're not willing to eat the body, drink the blood, then we will have no part with our Lord and Savior. If we're ashamed of Him, Father, help us. We have no reason to be ashamed. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.